On this week's Bet the Process podcast, like always, we meander around subjects. I interrupt Rufus, and we have on a guest who's much more interesting and much uh, smarter than us, but yet somehow we still don't let him talk. We have Josh Hermsmeyer on, who pioneered Air Yards, um, writes for 538, and has been known to teach Nate Silver a thing about analytics. So with that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling. So, welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast, uh, where Rufus and I uh, talk to really smart people. And in this case, we're talking to someone that I've, I've followed for a while on Twitter and, and find insightful and interesting uh and now he's joining us and i had no idea that he was a white supremacist which makes this conversation even more interesting no just kidding he's not a white supremacist. what's a supremacist white supremacist oh oh okay supremacist <laughs> I, I thought you were talking about a supremacist kind of different <laughs> anyways all right well that's an inside joke we'll, we'll we'll we won't get into that we were just talking geographically about where Josh Hermsmeyer, did I pronounce that correctly? Hermsmeyer lives. You got it. So I'm trying to remember, did you do work with the 49ers at one point? No, no, the Ravens. Okay. I'm trying to remember how I started following you, but I remember someone cluing me in that there was this just really smart guy on Twitter doing, you know, I think I asked someone I really trusted, who's someone you really follow um, to do, you know, interesting stuff on, on football analytics. And, and they, they mentioned Aaron Schatz. And so I couldn't No, they mentioned you. And um, so I started following you and uh, I, I think it's, how, how did you get into this world? Like what, what's your background? So you worked for the Ravens for a little while. And I, ju- I just, cons- I just consulted last year for like a cup of coffee. And you're allowed, um, you're allowed to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They let me say it. What? They let me keep. They let me tweet through it too. They trusted me to. I, I think I'm the only one in the organization that was allowed to tweet through it. Um, and, is Ozzie, and again, is, was, I'm jealous. Did you get much exposure to Ozzy? No, he was gone by the time I, I I was involved. And and again, they siloed me really, really well. Like they're not they're not dummies as you might expect. Like I know hardly anything about how things work there. And I was completely remote. Uh, but, but no, look, I, am, I have a, a paycheck from an NFL team framed in my den. And, and then that was a big deal for me as a, as a football nerd forever and ever. That was a big, big moment for me. That's so, awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm kind of I mean, jealous. Like, it's super awesome. Wait, you haven't ever worked for a team? Yeah, but I'm not allowed to say what team, though. So oh, it loses okay. all its luster. You're allowed and- to say the Yale Bulldogs that you work for. You're you got to get Kate, Kate and I did Kate and I consulted for a few off seasons for a team, but literally the data we got was all anonymized too. So it was very much uh, we gained no insight. Although and, and, I, I figured and, and out the answer key near the end. I was like, I want to know who this player is. And so I like, like, you know, I figured it out, but they, they don't and, know. And, that. and, and I want to say like, you know, since, since you mentioned Kate, like, 
what a prince of a guy. Like he's just one of the, literally one of the best people I've met. And, uh, and, and you've known him for way longer than I have, but what, what a terrific person to know in your life. Oh, I'm, what a great, what, what, what a great man. I could not agree more. Kate, Kate is amazing. Yeah. And I'm so lucky like to have, you know, to get a chance to work with him and to, I mean, have studied under him. He, he advised my senior thesis and like, I feel like, you know, I had all this energy, like he helped harness my, uh, you know, my enthusiasm over this stuff and like kind of, you know, show me how, how to, how to approach a problem. And yeah, Kate's great. We're yeah. talking about Kate Tri- Massey, Rufus's uh, partner and Massey Peabody. My mentor. Uh, he's a professor at Wharton um, in organizo- organizational, what is it? Ops research? Ops. He's ops a, prof- he's a professor of the practice. That's his title. Got it. So he sometimes says he's a practice professor. And I'm like, and he's in Philadelphia. So I'm like, practice, practice. Well, he's in Texas now, right? Yes, yes. But Wharton's in Philadelphia. But yes, he he just, he he is in Texas. I think, you know, they just, they just bought a place down there. He and his beautiful wife. And so, um, who's also awesome. I don't know if you got a chance to meet her, but. I have not. I have not had the had the opportunity, but uh, okay. Yeah, We're, our it. six listeners are down to three at this point. As much as we love Cade, we just lost half of our audience. So, Josh, tell me a little bit about how you uh, got into this world of football analytics, and um, you know, like what what your life, what you feel like your life's work is. Is is that air yards? Is that your life's work? Uh, I'm, I guess I've been blessed to or fortunate enough to work in areas that I'm passionate about. Like I was really passionate about wine, went to Davis, learned enology and viticulture, started a wine brand, was a farmer for a while. Uh, then I was passionate about software, always have been. I started a software company. That's still ongoing. And I've been passionate about football and I've been able to work for a team, as I mentioned, and, and do analytics and work at 538. So like, I guess, like some people um, optimize their life for meaning outside themselves. And I guess I'm a selfish prick and I've optimized my life for meaning to me. Um, and and uh, I, I guess like, if you just view it on that narrow lens, it's been, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, but you know, like I have friends who are doctors and things like that who do actual meaningful work and things actually make a difference in this world. And they, they make me feel bad about myself sometimes, but uh, in general, that's kind of been what I've done. I've, I've tried to find things that I'm, I really love doing and, and, and then try and do them in a way that uh, other people recognize as good or I can be proud of, something like that. I, I guess that would be how I would describe what I do. But I mean, that's like the con, I mean, that's the goal of life, right? Is to, to Maslow's pyramid of needs to have some purpose in your life for yourself, right? And ultimately your own happiness. Uh, I have a, I see if you can guess, I'm drinking a Pinot Noir from Sonoma. It's a, uh, I'm gonna give you 20 questions on it. It's a Pinot Noir that's uh, right outside the square. It has a pretty nice- uh, Wait, I was in Sonoma too, program. I wanna guess as well. I'm, it um, might've been one of the five vineyards I went to. It's uh, started by a family. This is probably not helping still. No, no, that, that doesn't help is at it, all. Is it's, it? It was born, it was, it was planted it on a derelict turkey farm. There's two brothers that were the essential ones that started it. Ooh, Gund, Gund, Gunbund? No. One of the brothers went to France. 
to learn how to make wine. The other one went to Davis to learn how to farm. It's probably the most, one of the most popular from a wine club standpoint, places in Sonoma right now. And you're saying the tasting room is on the square? No, it's just outside of the square. It's probably a mile outside of the square. And it's a big facility. Big. Oh, like it, turkey farm. Oh, is it that one? Um, crap. I think I went to it. Is it that like the, wait, what is it? <laughs> I'm not telling you. Know, I'll tell I, you I, that. I'm going to okay. give you the whole, the whole podcast. And if anyone who listens can figure this out, that would be great. Um, anyway, but, so. Wait, wait. Going to what you said, Josh, I, I completely agree, though. I think a lot of people, I mean, I think it takes a while to figure out exactly what you care about in life. I mean, I know when I was in college, I didn't, I mean, I knew I loved sports, but I didn't know what I wanted to do or what, you know, would end up mattering to me, I guess, in a way. And, and, you know, some people, I mean, I, some people really want to be doctors and some people are doctors, I think, because that's kind of, that was the next thing. And I know my, my dad, I was really lucky. My dad told me um, that he had a bunch of friends that are doctors and lawyers and are miserable and they, they hate it. They went into that because they could make a lot of money and it was because it was sort of what people were doing. And so I think, I think anybody that's sort of doing something off the beaten path and, and marching to be their own drum um, is, you know, it, it, I, I'm a big fan of that. And I think it's, you know, that's, that's what life's about doing what makes you know you happy and what gives you meaning. Yeah. I, that's one I, I to grow so. on Rufus. <laughs> well, look, Hey, come on, Ma, you're, you're, what, what do you do at Microsoft? You're like, uh, you inspire people to start new companies. Isn't that basically, I mean, your, your I don't really know what I do at Microsoft because I started during the pandemic. I walk upstairs to a bedroom. That's a converted bedroom into an office. I look at people on a screen all day. Wait, is that, that's where you are now. Yeah. It's, I've slept it's in that bed. It's one of the same. No, I mean, I tr trust me. Like I, my not when he was career there. journey is not something that I completely ever understand and ever would ever understand. My dad really wanted me to be a doctor and I thought I want to be a doctor. And, and I was like, I, I mean, like, honestly, your life is what I want. Like I'm the opposite of James Vanderbeek and varsity blues. Like I want your life because the idea of, you know, being a, uh, like growing wine that like to me like that's all I, I like the idea of being in the wine business is insane I love that and living in Sonoma or whatnot that's like a life journey for me and then doing football analytics um, and, and, and you know like what what I find interesting about you right now is like you're like a freelancer you're kind of like all over the place you're on 538 one defending Nate so now let, let's talk for a second because I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but we've had some conversations because uh, Rufus is a big Nate Silver fanboy. Wait, I'm also a Nassim. Well, I'm a Taleb. I don't want to say a fan. No, I don't want to talk I about Taleb. We arrogant, gave Taleb too much airtime like, last week. But let's go back to Nate. Those oh, wait, and let's wait, go to five thirty. I just want to say. I just want to say for the record that I think the signal and the noise and all of Taleb's books are basically essential reading if you're in the forecasting business. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Is your is your nose brown enough now, Rufus? Hold on. Okay, let's move on. Okay, so okay. Uh, the concept of 538, I think when Nate first started it, and you know, I know Nate pretty well. When Nate first started it, uh, it was it was it was a, you know, it was it was it was great, and then you guys started dabbling into other sports, and I find some of your probabilities around you know, NBA specifically as being a little 
a little off, especially when it comes to sort of like leveraging them for gambling. So we are a gambling podcast, even though it took us about a half an hour to even mention gambling. How do you feel about 538's role? Like, do you think it's something that people could use, whether it's politics or football or baseball to become, or basketball to become better gamblers? As a team strength metric, the quarterback adjusted ELO metric is pretty good. Um, uh, I mean, it depends on what you want to do with it. Like if you're, if you're trying to beat a liquid market, I don't know what's really going to help you um, or what you're expecting out of a public metric. But in terms of like getting you a lot of the way there, like our ELO stuff is, is really good. Like I use it in one of my models and I do bet with it. Um, it's not a huge part, but it's an important part. And, and so I think, I think, uh, I don't know, like, so you, you can, you, you, do, you do bet. Yeah. On, on NFL and on everything or just NFL primarily. NFL cause it's what I know. Got it. And where, where do you feel like, what, what do you typically bet on? Do you bet on, uh, like NFL sides, totals, Pre-games, halftimes, prop bets, where, where's, your, where's your edge? Totals and, you know, wherever I can find a, a good market. But I, I, I you know, all, all the stuff, like all the normal stuff, like if you can find a cool synthetic market and, and get your hold down, that's great. But, but my edge is, is basically in totals. And, um, and, uh, and it's actually fairly recent. It's, I've never really thought that there was going to be something I could find personally an edge that would be profitable until, Oh, earlier this season. And um, so anyway, that's exciting. And so that's, that's what I've been doing. You're like, I found an edge on totals and I just found it and it's great. And let's move on. I mean, I mean, I'm, not, I'm like, not gonna, I'm not gonna fucking tell you it, but like, I think, I think that. I think okay. That, after uh, the recording stopped, question, then you can tell us. Okay, so I, the, the question was, do 538, does 538 have valuable information in any sport? And my answer is yes. The NFL, certainly, I think it, it, the, the, the ELO, quarterback just ELO, and it can be made better, but it is valuable in and of itself. No, I think the question was more, can you really use the information? Because like when we go back to the election, right, and, and we probably will never have Nate on this because I just don't want to, I, you know, Nate, Nate is Nate's Nate at this point. There's too and, many egos for one podcast in that case. Huh? No, it's not that. I just, I mean, I, I don't want to ask Nate because I don't want him to say no to me. And so I don't know. It's, it's yeah. like my ego can't take him saying uh, no to you me. You know what, Jeff, I'm going to ask for you then. You can ask for me. You, you're or we can you get Josh to ask for us. I don't have Nate's phone number on speed dial like you probably do, but. I, I don't like what does speed dial even mean? Do you have it's, a, do you have a fucking what, rotary what phone speed with speed dial? That's dialing? a good question. I mean, like, so, do, do kids nowadays they call it your like favorites, Rufus? Your favorites are kids nowadays. Like, do they know that as an expression, or are they like, what the fuck are they talking about? I asked my three year old today if 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 he could text one of his friends, and he goes, he's not a grown up. He doesn't have a cell phone. And I was like, oh, that's a good point. Uh, so okay, so let's go back to to NFL then, in, in terms of like. Oh, actually, no, we were talking about 538 and politics, right? So what I, I saw you tweet a little bit about politics and the predictions. 
do you feel like Nate was triumphant in this election or do you feel like he, he was off? So there's two parts to that. I think that need to be answered, but I'll just answer you straight up. I think he was more right than wrong. I think though, if you're going to critique the process, maybe you'll say, well, the error shouldn't have been symmetrically distributed. And like, we should have been like, you know, we, we should have known that polling error was going to skew in a certain direction and, and therefore the distribution should have been, should have accounted for that. My personal view is if, if you're not just overfitting to Trump, you can't do that. You just can't. Um, I think what we did and what Nate did was smart, which was he had this large symmetrical distribution error and, and it encompassed the polling error and it worked. And, and I think it's generalized, it's a generalizable model. And I think that's what you want. It's not overfit to Trump. You can use it again in a new election cycle. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, people, I think sometimes people get upset that models that are built to do one thing, which is to, you know, to work in lots of situations that they didn't work in a specific situation as well as maybe an overfit model might. I don't think that's fair. So, I worked for 538, what do you expect me to say? Uh, that's the other part of this. Um, but I do truly believe what I, just, what I just said. No, I mean, I think that was a very valid, you know, viewpoint on it. I mean, I think ultimately my main problem with Nate has been that in, throughout this has been his incessant attacking of markets and prediction markets without a full understanding of what like a real liquid betting market the value a real liquid betting market has. Like he keeps continuing to like quote predict it in these shitty markets that are thin that aren't real markets. Right. Versus when like, like Betfair, Betfair had, I don't know if it does anymore, but it had like literally seven figures on each side, like three weeks after the election still. I mean, were you able I mean, to bet? Well, so I'm not because I'm not, I'm an American citizen and like, you know, American citizens cannot bet at Betfair. That's very sharp not to admit that, but uh, I think I don't, that, I don't. I th- <laughs> My business partner lives in the Cayman Islands. Rufus, and, like, six people listen to this podcast. Okay. I know, like, well, no, my, my business partner lives in the Cayman Islands. We had a bet fair for a little while and like, I don't know. There wasn't, he, he must not okay. have done the like KYC documents well enough well, or something. So let me, let me speak to it. So, so Jeff, I would ask you like, like when you find your edges, I mean, like, they're not always in liquid markets. And I, I think all, all, that, all that Nate is saying is that, you know, whatever's going on in these election markets is not efficient in the way that we think of an efficient market. But, I think that's all he's saying. Wait, but Nate, okay, Nate's point was that people, I think he used the word sophomoric, people in, in political, uh, or people in the political prediction markets have a sophomoric knowledge of politics. These are you know, very much recreational um, betters in this regard. But if you think about any betting market, it's, you know, most market participants are recreational betters. So but I guess the, the question but it's is- the sharp ones that make it good. Right. And, and but he, that he not was basically, also, saying, wait, that he was Jeff, basically saying that there are no such thing yeah. as sharp betters in election markets. That's, that's essentially- No, I what think he said it would, the majority of people have this sophomore knowledge. But, but what is the difference between a political prediction market and a- sports prediction market in terms of like why one would be efficient and the other would not 
Well, what if the election betting market is more like the Super Bowl? Like, I, I don't know this is or the true, World Cup. but this would be the this this would be the argument, right? Well, Rufus, you and, actually and, said this. Hold on. Well, wait. I want to hear what Josh was going to say. This was his whole premise. Well, I mean, I, I don't have any hard evidence that this is the case, but I just, like, I don't think you can dismiss Nate's. He's he's truly an expert, right? And and for him to say that, like, and and he's pointed out ways that the market has been wildly inefficient after the fact. Like, they still had, I think, while the votes were being counted, like a five percent chance of some nonsense happening, and and just weird weird things in the market. You guys interviewed. Um, Ed Teach. Who's the gentleman you guys? Ed Teach. Teach. Ed Teach, who made some great points about defense, by the way, and betting football. But, but I, I thought that, like, <laughs> but I thought that, like, uh, you know, his comments about why and how he came to be on the Trump side were, I don't know, I, I, I don't know that they were sound. Like, I think, and I think there were a lot of people who thought that way, um, and and I know Pinnacle and other people had a model that thought that. You know, Trump was going to win based on Florida, but like, wait, it was did? just that was that was all. That's what I heard from. Pinnacle yeah, Rufus, had a model. we talked yeah. about this. The, the, when when Trump won Florida, when it became apparent that he won Florida yeah, that early wasn't on, Pinnacle having a model that was the betting public betting. That was everyone. Right, right. That was just the betting. It's public. a market. I'm right. sorry. I'm sorry. It was oh. it was Pinnacle's internals. I'm sorry, not not their model. But anyway, the, so so my understanding was that they were like, it's over, and. And, and so people were freaking out and, you know, whatever, that's fine. And I just think though that that kind of reaction to information betrays a fundamental lack of understanding what was going on in the election. But I, I mean, okay. I think the other I mean, thing- I that think that nobody really knew, it, knew what was going on. I think to me, the lesson is that people were overconfident in their opinions, not that their opinions were necessarily like, biased, but that they were overconfident in their knowledge of the subject matter. Because, uh, you know, in, in terms of generalizing Florida, like is Florida, we did have the entire, I mean, we, we did have early votes counted, like before election day. So we were seeing, it's not like we were seeing a biased sample of Florida, we saw what Florida was, right? But I think people generalizing that to other states. No, they extrapolated Florida. <laughs> to all these other swing states. And I mean, I think the, the, the problem was that Florida was absolutely in play. Like Florida falling to Trump was not something that should have caused anyone who was paying close attention to be terribly worried about Biden's chances, Wait, in my opinion. Why is that? Because, okay, so just because it's in play doesn't mean, mean that it shouldn't no, I mean, affect it's, the it's, conditional it, probabilities, right? Give it conditional on... Trump winning Florida, I mean, he's more likely to win other states, was, knowing nothing was, else, correct? It was really, a lot of this was people overvaluing the correlation that Florida might have with the rest of the swing states, specifically, right. I think, around the Hispanic and Latino, the Latinx voters, which I do fundamentally believe which was the difference. Um, yes, Jeff, and I think that actually, if it wasn't for that, Florida would have had a higher correlation. And I'm not an expert here, so this is just my intuition. Please, Josh, tell me like that if I'm wrong, which I know I am. But, but I would think that, I would think that Florida going to Trump should tell us a lot about other swing states. And I would think in most elections it would. But I think in this was maybe unique because of the you know this was unique in terms of the way sort of the Latinx vote went 
in Florida relative to, you know, other states? No, you guys are both, you guys are both right. Um, especially Jeff, I think here, like the, the Latinx part of it. So I don't know like how much, so I have a friend, my former business partner actually was talking to Trump the week before and he, he's a big donor and he was on the phone with me and he was saying all of this stuff. He was saying, Latin voters are not all the same. We're going to win Texas. We're going to win for sure. We're going to win Texas. We're definitely going to win Florida. You know, all these other states are in play. But if you played around on our website, just our website with our model, like you give, even with all these conditional probabilities and all the correlations, if you give Biden Florida, there are so many more paths for Biden relative to Trump to victory. And the error being the error, there was just no reason to really get so convinced that something was going to happen. Like I think the, the move towards being absolutely certain that this was like, like, I mean, even you, Rivers, you're like, it's over. And like, and yeah, I think there's some scar tissue there. I, I look, and I was worried. I was certainly worried, but I wasn't at all convinced that that was, that spelled the end. And, and then the fact that all those uncounted votes were coming, but you mean the fraudulent ones? Um, yeah, the fraud, the made up ones, yeah, the ones, the ones they're still the ones they happen to find in the post office in the mail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I guess my point in bringing all that up and name dropping my friend or not naming him, but like pointing that out was that no one knows fucking anything. Like, the people might, someone might know something about a state with like on the ground information, but no one knows anything about all the states. And, and I think that's the problem with elections and and the markets i like that that's interesting because like a friend of mine i don't know if you you happen to read like this new york times article um a while back about the the sort of uh localized newspaper websites that had become super conservative and had been like these pay to play for conservative local like anyways you should go back and read it the guy's name is brian Tipponi, and he's a guy that i've known for quite some time great guy but has has really become super conservative during this time and and i was on the phone with him two weeks before the election it was like right when this new york times had written this big expose about his business and he said to me you are going to be so surprised trump is going to win florida he articulated the latin thing around socialism to me and he said but he also said trump's going to win new mexico trump's going to win colorado and it was like, he said it in such a definitive California. way. And he said, I see information that no one else sees. Oh, and I remember yeah. thinking at that moment, like I was like, huh, that's crazy to think about that. It's funny how someone can say one thing and, and they seem smart and then they go further on and further on. And you're like, okay, their credibility shot. It's just, a, yeah, the, yeah. the other thing with elections is there's just, just like sports, there's just this incredible bias confirmation bias where we just believe what we want to believe right you know like you heard that in, in ed teaches thing right there was just definitely some confirmation bias as he talked through some of the stuff especially like the election fraud stuff i was like this is all election this is all confirmation bias okay can i ask i want to ask one more 538 question and then let's move on to football because i, I think ultimately there's probably some cool football stuff to talk about um my biggest issue and i think historically the NBA stuff on 538 is not very good. Like 
it often gives, especially towards the end. And in the playoffs, right? I think you're talking specifically about the playoffs. Like in like the Lakers going into this year and like some of LeBron's Cavaliers teams and stuff like that. Um, To the point where it's like almost laughable compared to the market. Do you think that's just like an outlier in your model? Like, do you guys, like, how, how would, how would you react to that? as a company man. And if you say like, I don't know, I don't know the MBA stuff that we can move on from that, but I'm just curious because you're like the only 538 yeah. person we've ever had on. Sadly, I, I know what I don't know and I don't know MBA and I don't know our model when it comes to the MBA. I don't know Raptor. I know like smart people put a lot of time into it. Like uh, Jay and, and Nate and, and Neil all put a lot of time in Raptor and, and, if, and if it's if, if they look at it and it's so far off from the model do they go i mean so far off from the market does that concern them or do they just say it's our model it's our model who cares what the betting markets say it's their sophomoric no absolutely not i think i think uh i think really want to be careful because i don't want to speak for anyone but i'm pretty sure there's a healthy healthy respect for markets within 538 um, so long as there are enough sharp people betting enough sharp money into those markets to make them efficient. And I think that would, that would be the only caveat with the elections that, uh, that I think, that I think applies. You, okay. But with the election, there were people betting, placing seven figure wagers on it. Like there were big bets coming in. The question you're just saying that those are not from it's like a world do cup they have type better event. information i mean we've, we've talked about do they have better information they might I don't know, know. They, about people don't have to fill out a form saying what information they have when they place a bet i mean i mean i think the best explanation is the explanation that they're just much more public markets right and 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 i think i i don't i think they're very liquid large markets but they're just very public markets like the super bowl like mayweather mayweather mcgregor which is essentially what you said, Rufus. It like is. Why you and thought people, this was a once-in-a-lifetime betting opportunity. And I, I, I made a lot of money off of it. Like, even though I was – well, mainly because I was oh. laying big prices and while Nate Rufus, was directionally off. this is why people off, don't like you because you're always talking about – Oh, I'm free-rolling them. But wait, guess what, Jeff? I actually talked oh, about this right, before, before the election, didn't I? I did. Right. I, it's, it has nothing to do with it. Okay, let's move on to NFL. Okay. So – this year's NFL has been weird, and I would love to understand from you what are some observational things that you have noticed um, about this season. Like, i.e., do you do you have any concept of of home field? Right? Do we, you know, do we do we have a point of view now on what home field is really worth in these in these uh, fanless stadiums? So I think it was just yesterday that. Costas, and I'm going to butcher his name, Pelicringus. Anyway, he's a professor. He did uh, uh, some Bayesian updating, and he basically had a prior of two-point home field advantage. He took this year's results and the median of that, and it's pretty tight distribution around zero. So the implication, the inference is that, you know, no home field advantage. Um, what was and, the, and why? Wait, what was the uncertainty around his prior, though, right? Yeah, I, it all it all depends I, on I, if, if if right right. I mean, it's the whole waiting yeah. by the end. Yeah, I mean Bayesian. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I, I, I was gonna say like, inverse I, I variance actually, waiting, but I need to do with the. So variances. I did not interrupt Rufus once during that. He just kept interrupting himself. Just so for for the record. 
So I, 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 I will, uh, on my, if you guys go to Frisco Josh on Twitter, I will retweet it if you, and I am sure he has the code. So we can go ahead and dig in at some point. I only looked at it just briefly. And he was replying to Mike um, at the NFL. Uh, Mike. Uh, Lopez. Help me out here. Lopez. Lopez. He was replying Lopez. to Mike Lopez and, and his data, which was showing a really strong, just like a regular old meme of zero. Um, I think that, I think the interesting question is why, but I, I don't, I can't touch that stuff. Like I'm not a causal guy. I'm just like, what, what's true? What can we predict? Um, and how can we take advantage of it? Causal stuff is not something I really dip my toe into too much. It's really, really hard. So, uh, but, but I do think though that, you know, it's, it's probably smart not to, not to wait to home field very much this year. But I okay. think everyone knows that. I think everyone knows that already. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, is, has the market completely reacted to that or not? Like, I mean, I, I guess it has. It took a little bit of time, but it has. I always ask Rufus on the pod, and he tells me he hasn't looked at it. So I think he's just lying to me because he thinks that's like some advantage that he, that he has. Uh, no, what, Jeff, I'm just so busy. Like, I, well, no, crap. That sounds like I was trying to brag that I'm busy. But it's true. <laughs> I... I, I wish There's, I had no matter time to how look at you these things. talk about things like never you're never trying to be a douchebag but it like just sounds like it when you say it. it's come out of your mouth I mean it's like I think people think I'm smarter than I am too for that reason because it's like I think I'm people not think you think you're smarter than you are also I think I'm pretty dumb Wait, but mystery mystery makes people think you're you're much smarter than you are and, and that's why I, I I open my mouth way too much and I just fell all about all the time so that's always good do you, so you probably have a pretty strong point of view on different teams, right? I, I'm a I'm a Patriots fan, and and a big a big thing that we've had on this on this uh, podcast this year has been this Brady versus Belichick legacy thing. Do the Patriots at this point have any chance of making the playoffs? And what chance do you give them this week against the Rams? They're now getting five so that's that's bet down from six and a half rufus did you bet the the patriots there no i didn't i bet the patriots the last like two or three weeks at least but not this week i make it two i, I make it five and a half do you have any take on that josh i was just reading the article that you wrote over the summer about cam and uh you know how that might be a big a big difference maker for them um the cam situation is fascinating right he came out early looked almost like cam superman they went through this period where they like almost emasculated him in his ability to take any chances i think trying to get him to avoid the turnovers but they even didn't have him run for a while in the last couple games he's gone back to running but his passing has been under 100 yards like what do you think about cam and the patriots going forward i think you know cam like just from a football perspective, if you use him correctly and you have enough weapons around him, he's a cheat code. He's a guy who can pass in between the twenties and then run it in, which is like analytics in a nutshell when it comes to the NFL. Like it's just all in one player. And, um, and I think that the fact they were get him, they were able to get him so cheap, the Patriots made me hopeful. And, and, and maybe it is kind of, uh, showing itself now at the end of the season, like there was a, there was a mid period there where the Patriots, like they were lost. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe hopefully they might have a, a reasonable season. Um, 
I'm, I'm bearish on New England, though. And for a reason maybe that's anti you, Jeff, like I, I do not believe that the reason why the Patriots were good was because of the coaching. Um, I think that Brady took winning with him to a large extent to Tampa Bay, um, although maybe that doesn't look like such a sharp opinion in the last few weeks. But I do believe that that's the case. And, and, and I think that I, I, I believe last time, this last weekend I was with uh, someone who had a really strong stake from a team in whether or not the New England won or lost. But I think the case is, is that um, for other good teams to make it, like the Ravens, the Patriots can't. And so for that reason, I would say they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Because I do think, I do think that eventually the Ravens will, will, will I, I think the Ravens have a good shot of winning out and, and they'll make the playoffs. And, and I'm not sure, I have to look at all the probabilities and how this all works. And we have this all on 538, by the way, which is a lot of help, a lot of help. But uh, I, I think that, uh, I think that if, if, if the Ravens make it, I don't think the Patriots can, but I'm not entirely certain. I think they still can, but the the Patriots actually have the tiebreaker over the Ravens, which is which is obviously nice. Um, yeah. I, I what what makes you believe from an analytic standpoint that it was Brady over Belichick? Because I I guess like I go back to the same argument, which is that longevity in that period, the consistency of Belichick and Brady during that time, and yet at no point would you have fundamentally believed that Brady was like the quarterback you would pick over any other quarterback to, to win, at least not that clearly. Like there was always a quarterback that would be close or rivaled him. And, you know, with the Patriots, there was such an outlier over the other, other team. Why, why, what makes you say that it's Brady? Well, I mean, it's pretty clear at this point, he, he's like, so He's the best quarterback ever. Now disentangle that from the situation, the coach. That's very hard. But we know he's the most successful quarterback ever. He's not the best quarterback. Right. Well, no, but he's saying that that sort of the Belichick Brady combination is like the most successful run. But what we know, I'm sorry. Wait, I don't want to sue Thunder. I I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to say the same thing. But I I was going to say what we know or what we assume about the distribution of quarterback skill. We assume that there's a uh, the distribution is a lot more dispersed in, you know, versus coaching skill. And so we know if a quarterback can have a bigger impact on a game than a coach can, then it's more likely that that impact was due to the quarterback than the coach. Yeah, that, that, that's a good way of putting it. And basically what I believe, like, I mean, everything that we know about game outcomes and what influences them over time, it's stable is quarterback play and very, it's much, much harder to attribute long-term success to a coach. I'm not saying it's impossible, and I'm not saying that, that Belichick doesn't deserve, you know, a healthy share of the credit, but I think the majority needs to go to Brady. Hmm. So do you – so one thing – I was actually asked this today earlier about um, – but if, if I factor in coaching into my model, and I said, you know, insofar as it affects play on the field, yes. But do you think beyond sort of – you know, EPA, play success, et cetera. Like, do you think that, that there is something about what Belichick has done that is not reflected in the numbers that is sustainable? Because um, if you look at it, like over the course of the last, what, fifth, I guess, since 
I guess two decades, the Patriots under under Belichick have covered their average um, margin of cover or not cover. Their ATS difference is like plus three points, which is like a, a big outlier. Um, is there something there that people are not picking up on that the analytics crowd and the market in general is not picking up on, or are they just the wow. time? I so the, that the market isn't picking. I mean, this is a robust market. I would not presume to say it isn't picking up on it um, if it's there. So, but if he's beating no, the market not. by three points. Right. Then right. is is he the person that is he just you know, if you think about it, like he's just the one that you know, he he's the coin that just happened to flip, you know, heads five straight times. Is he that or is he you know or is yeah. he not, or is the coin just a little bit off? Well, I mean, like if you look at the times when he didn't have Brady, um he wasn't that great like Wait, I mean, what? There was the they went 11 and 5 castle. with matt castle there was the one season with castle but if you look at his tenure with cleveland it wasn't great okay. and if you look at the decisions he made with bledsoe before brady came on he signed bledsoe to a big contract right before he got injured. yeah well he will he was certainly consulted i mean when he came in he was given the reins to almost everything and and he gave bledsoe while Brady was on, on the team, the biggest contract in the league. Um, Budsoe got injured. Brady came on, and they never looked back. I, it's, and they weren't good with Budsoe, by the way. If you look back, they were not good with Budsoe. So I, I think, uh, you know, I, I can go too far with this. Like, he's a great coach. Probably the best coach ever. Um, is he worth – what, what did you quote against spread? I, I can't remember. Three percent? Three, like, three, yeah, three points. He's obviously he's not worth three points. Oh, three points. Spread relative. To, well, yeah, yeah, that's insane. So I, I, but I don't, I, I don't know what he is. Like, maybe he is. Like, like if he, if he, it, it, like if Belichick was out tomorrow, like if he got COVID, like would the line move? What if, I mean, and that's, that's not fair. That's not fair because all his stuff is still in the building and all his coaches, but I don't know. I guess the question is if, they if the Patriots did not have Belichick as their coach this year, what would the record be? And how good would they be? And they had the same group yeah. of players. I mean, I think that's like, the, there's a very easy one, which isn't necessarily fair either. Which is Belichick coaches Tampa Bay. Do they win the Super Bowl? Uh, Brady comes over as the quarterback of the Patriots with Belichick as the coach. Do they make the playoffs? I don't know. I mean, I, I'd, I'd much, much rather take Belichick with the, with the uh, Buccaneers to be a Super Bowl contender than Brady with the Patriots. To with Jameis as the quarterback? Um, no, I would, still, I would take still, Belichick and Jameis. That would be a funny he combination gets, to He see. still gets Brady in that situation, right? Just Wait. like when Brady comes back to the Patriots, he still gets Belichick. It's just, it's just swapping in them out for what situations they're in. Um, so and maybe that's learn? more of a conversation yeah. around Belichick versus Arians. Yeah. What about what about I mean, anything else? Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say when you the things that we pick up on coaching, like the things that I look at, like now recently, 
how often do they run motion pre-snap? How often do they run play action? Like, do they go for it when they should? Like, those things Bill has not been amazing at. He has been this year because I think he adapts to his talent. And when he had Brady, he didn't need to smash easy buttons. And so I think it's what you see in Pittsburgh. They don't run a lot of play action, and maybe that's a function of Ben not wanting to turn his back to the defense like I've heard people tell me. But, you know, and so when you have Ben and so you don't rock that boat, like he gets to choose. But at the end of the day, like the ways I measure the effectiveness of a play caller or a coach, um, you know, I don't, I don't really see him over time being. But you, you just oh, wait, kind of oh, just, dis, you dismiss defense there. And I know that we uh, are back to this defense doesn't matter kind of thing. But it, it's interesting because I think that you, you would probably equate most of Belichick's big coaching def- moments as his, his defensive moments, right? Like the Super Bowl against the Rams and whatnot. And a lot of that is like scheme, I would think, and like plan. And like, that's one thing that I feel like you're, you're just sort of – and I, I wonder about this because the, I think the points you're making that Ed made – on the podcast about defense and, and sort of this, like the, the predictability of defense and the ability to, um, I think it's interesting because if you think about this at the core, right? What I always talk about with blackjack is it's, it's really hard. Like anything that's like a hard nut to crack, like blackjack is not a hard nut to crack. Is anybody still listening to you talk about blackjack? I had to interrupt not- to say that. You're like, when I'm I talk not, about I'm blackjack, I'm like, everybody's like, oh, Jeff, talking about blackjack again. Damn it, no, but that the guy never shuts like, up about blackjack. I could be the best blackjack I'll, player in the I'll, world. I'll, I'll listen, I'll, I will listen to you talk about blackjack. I will listen to you talk I, about I blackjack too, all day. <laughs> I, I, the best blackjack player in the world, let's say I am, which I'm not, but let's say I am. The next best blackjack player is just about as good as me because it's a relatively solved game. And if offense is, like, more solved than defense or defense, you know, I don't know what it is, but, like, if defense is that a harder nut to crack from a outlier standpoint, if you can crack it, doesn't that give you more leverage to actually create, you know, a better result? Yes. That's why I spend almost all my time on it. But that doesn't mean that it isn't true that it's a weak link system. And that if one player does something wrong, the rest of the 10 people being amazing look horrible by the stats, by the things that we track, by the things that we can measure currently. Um, and, and that's a problem. It's a huge problem for the way we project games and game states. So, but yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah, if you can solve defense or if you can even get make a slight inroad in defense, it's a big deal. I mean, can I, can I make a – I mean, I think Jeff's point was a really good one there. And I think the same thing kind of applies to sort of something that – us analytics people don't really talk about, which is like culture and leadership and being able to motivate a group of players to play an emotional game. And I mean, if you look at, if you had to power rank the coaches in terms of analytics, like, you know, where does Andy Reid rank? Where does Mike Tomlin rank? Like not that high, but they like Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season and he's been the coach of that team for what? 15, 14 years, 12, 13. I mean, it's like since 2007, maybe, I don't know. I'm just, somewhere in the 2000s um and you know those are i i don't think anybody would argue that those coaches have are great coaches i think because they have have a track record of success 
and under with with different quarterbacks for the most part um and different personnel and i and i don't think it's it has anything to do with scheme necessarily and so i think as analysts we go for the things we can quantify and sort of say oh this person is good because of this you know whereas the stuff we can't we kind of just sort of don't really talk about and and i guess i think jeff was sort of making that point of if with defense as well and i think it but i think it applies to 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 more than just defense agreed and i guess i would just simply say if it was my job if i worked on a team and it was my job to understand and I could control defensive scheme and players and all the rest, then absolutely it would matter a lot more to me to, and there would be a lot more things uh, to consider. And I guess the other part of this is that, um, I don't know what we're talking about, like you know, organizations and like, and optimizing an organization and like that, that's a much more interesting problem than just the specific defense part and then the coaching problem. Like the Ravens have done a really good job of that over the past eight, nine, 10 years. And, um, and I think they're so far ahead of any other team because of the organization itself. Like you talk about, oh gosh, in Silicon Valley, you might talk about what Apple did or what, what Steve Jobs tried to do is like he's the pro- his best product. He said, the thing I built wasn't the iPod or the, or the iPhone, it was Apple, right? That was his, that was the product he built. And that was the thing that he worked so hard on. And I think that, I think that that kind of mentality, if you take that focus towards building an organization, a football team, and, and look at everything as an optimization problem, and, and that can include having a good coach that's motivational, that can include all of these ideas about how you, how you get football players to get up for a game and, and do that consistently, all of that can be built into that structure. Um, but again, that's inside, right? That's the inside view as Cade would like to say, and we're on the outside. And, and if you're going to, if you're on the outside, then you need to just take base rates and that's your best bet. So uh, that's why for me, defense is not a huge signal or at least uh, the way we typically measure it isn't a big signal. So you, you pioneered air yards, um, which would love for you to explain. And then I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how um, a better, a fantasy player or something like that might be able to use something like air yards to gain an advantage. I don't know there's much of an advantage uh, just using air yards anymore. Um, my model, I think, still has edges uh, throughout the season. But let's back up. Air yards are basically, um, if you measure perpendicular to the line of scrimmage, the distance a pass travels um, to a player on the field. And imagine he catches the ball and falls down immediately. That's the air yard. So it's, or, or, or it's incomplete. He drops the ball and uh, either, either one, incomplete and complete. Those are air yards. Just a way of measuring the leverage behind a target, basically. So, uh, you know, the three yard target is less valuable than a, 40 yard target and that makes intuitive sense. So putting that all together for something like fantasy, uh, it can help you understand the true value of a player's volume. And you can also help you like say, I remember back when Detroit had Marvin Jones and Golden Tate on the same team, you're like, which one's better? Like which one's more valuable? 
from a fantasy standpoint and it helped you quantify that. So they were about even, but that's what air yards is. And, and the model I do each week basically tries to use air yards and other factors as leading indicators to say, this guy might have a breakout week. He's due that kind of thing. That's the column. You do that also just for establish the run. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Establish the run. Yep. Is that also where you're, without giving away too much secret sauce, but sort of where some of your um, advantage lies in totals where you're using that, that type of thing predictively to, to predict scoring or? Keep fishing. No, no, not at all. Did, is there anything to that on a team perspective where, where air yards could be used to understand like, hey, you know, because like we have this whole concept, right, in, in terms of um, trying to find inefficiencies and in underlying stats where the aggregate or traditional stats tell a different story than the advanced stats were. So what is the different story that air yards can tell versus the, you know, the, the, the traditional stats? Well, it's not on the box score. And so that's an advantage an information advantage you have over normal players. Um, yeah. But is there, is there you know, like, is there a world where we believe that the more air yards, regardless sorry sorry irregardless of whether they're completed or not um whether they is that is that a good thing or like what like how i guess i'm just asking like how do i use this right because i i get that it's interesting because it's it's not in the box to bet? what's that to bet, I mean, fan, fantasy is a, a different game than what i think a typical better is looking at like i think you know with sides and totals and things like that i think i don't I don't know that area yards helps very much there. And I think okay. if you guys have looked at it, you probably found the same thing. Well, wide um, receivers just don't matter that much in football anyway. Rough. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, that's rough. But, but in fantasy, it's a different game, right? You're, you're trying. No, no, a, I, I, the fantasy thing it's, I get. It's a, it's a 15 legged parlor or whatever the hell it is. So. It's like, it's like, it's like looking at a running back where you were able to actually understand and quantify the value of their attempts. Like if you knew some of their attempts were worth different, like if you knew that a, if a, that your running back was going to get most of their attempts on first and goal at the one and the rest of them on third and 20, then you would like think those attempts were really valuable. One leads to probably a lot of garbage yards. The other one leads to a lot of potential points. Right. And that's essentially so, what air so, yards is to some degree. Well, the key, the, the key thing about air yards is, is that, we're pretty good at understanding what happens leading into a game with a running back because he's a singleton. He's the only guy in the backfield typically. I mean, it's, it's become less true over time. The quarterbacks are efficiency driven. So we, we're pretty good at predicting what they're going to do. Wide receivers on a week to week basis are the highest scorers on average and yet the hardest to predict. If a guy had a good week last week, very likely the team's going to try and do something different the next. It's just the way football works. It's a function of deception and all, all sorts of other things. Um, it's a function of the defense taking a guy away. And so is there any leading indicator we could say, well, you know, given all those factors, is this guy more likely than not to be the guy this week? And when you use targets and air yards and share of those two on a team, and that unrealized volume that can kind of point you in the right direction. That's, that's the entire insight. It's not super complicated. Got it. Uh, do we want to move on to some games this week and see if any, if Rufus, if you have any picks or 
Josh, if you guys yeah. have anything, we can talk about a few of the marquee games. Um, Rufus, you want to lead with some of the stuff that you see value in? I only have really one game I see value in, and it's I'm not even sure it's on the board right now. Um, and that since we don't know who's going to be the starting quarterback, um, and that's going to be the Giants against the Arizona Cardinals, and I show value on the Cardinals. Interesting. Um, and that's that is right now using a well. I'll say a hybrid it, of Col- Colt McCoy yeah, and Daniel. Yeah, like a little more McCoy Jones. though. A little more McCoy, uh, just because I thought that. I mean, early in the week it looked like I didn't. Well, first off, I didn't think Daniel Jones was going to be back like this week when I look, you know, based off of what I read last week. And um, but now I, I've heard it's it, it look, it's looking more like fifty fifty and maybe a little more likely. But I, I think it's also a spot where. Um, it feels it's the kind of bet that I kind of like, which doesn't mean anything about how good it's going to be, but it feels good because I feel like I'm buying low on the Cardinals and I feel like I'm, I'm selling high on, on the giants. I mean, both the markets are obviously it's a liquid market and it's pretty efficient, but um, I, I do think that from time to, you know, if you look back in the past, there have been at times in the NFL market of inefficiencies um, related to sort of, uh, overreactions to recency, some recency bias that 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 has long been a feature of markets in general, sports betting markets in general, and so um, so it, it, it's one that feels easier to stomach betting than when you're betting on a team that has just been playing lights out, you know. Uh, Josh, you like the Ravens? They're now basically pick them against the Browns, and if you believe they're going to win out and take the Patriots' playoff spot, then this is a game they need to win. Yeah, I, I, I think they play the Browns pretty good. And they have some stuff they do against Baker that confuses them. I like the under pretty strong. You mean putting 11 game. men on the field? Because I think that might confuse Baker generally. That's pretty rough. I'm actually a big Baker stan. Like, I think he's taken a lot, way too much heat this year. And um, I think we saw the last game what he can do, like when he has – a defined read and, and like here's the problem I don't think anyone going in thought that Baker was going to be a guy that needed you to smash all the easy buttons right they needed you to give him half field play action reads like he was smart he was accurate he was a processor of the field like that's was what everyone thought um it's what I thought and and it turns out that maybe that's not what we have but he's still accurate when he's got a clean pocket like PFF has him ranked as one of the top quarterbacks in a clean pocket this year it's when he has to move his feet, but he stinks. And so Baltimore needs to make him move his feet. Baltimore needs to make him have a picture of the field that he isn't comfortable with. And I think they're pretty good at it. Um, so my stuff, my stuff likes the under, but I don't bet Baltimore, especially unders with Baltimore. It's just a nightmare. Can I ask you how so. much, so I think you, like those are some really interesting points you made. Can I ask how much you think matchups actually play a, like a role in the NFL? versus just the quality of the two teams. Because I know when Kate and I looked back at matchup stuff years ago, um, we, didn't, we didn't find much just based on the base metrics, but I think when you look at it as deep as you do, I mean, I, I, I have no doubt that there are matchup factors that play a role. Yeah, I think, I think uh, marginally. Yeah, but I, I don't, like 
for a long time, I was the guy, you know, yelling about defense doesn't matter. And that basically, like, if you looked at the stability of defense and you take out division, second division games year over year, so, like, you just look at, like, EPA per play allowed by defense, and then you take out for games that they play an offense for the second time in the, in the year, and, and you regress that in the next year, and you just see what the stability is. I mean, it's basically nothing. It's really bad. And I think so what, what that led me to was this idea that the way our, our stats are capturing defense is that it's really just a measure of offense. And it's a measure of the strength of the offense the defense is faced. And, and I think, so with the, the normal way we measure defenses, I think, yeah, it's not, it's not too terribly good. I think that ELO does a decent job. I, I think it does a good, good job for a matchup. Um, and again, that, I think that, uh, 538's done a, done a reasonably good job at that, but yeah, no, other than that, I, I, I don't really know, um, that there's anything currently that, that really helps too much. Um, I know that, you know, obviously it's different when you're on a team because you know where you can deploy your weapons to attack a defense. And as a defense, you know, where you're weak and you know how to shore up those deficiencies. Um, but until teams start acting on the information that I think we we have that's available to them, like I don't know if you've read articles about what's going on in, in baseball right now, but they have these wristbands, right, where based on heat maps of where the, the batter pitcher matchup is, the catcher will actually call what's on his wristband based on those pitching heat maps to what quadrant of the of the strike zone is best, and it's all predetermined. You could sit there if you had the wristband, you could predict each pitch. That's uh, Tampa Bay. That's uh, Baltimore. It's these different these different teams are doing this. Baltimore. And I, and I and I think and I think that you know if if the NFL moved more in that direction, um, obviously things would get more predictable, right? I mean, teams like the Ravens and the Browns are moving in that direction. Wouldn't you agree? At least I assume they are. Given it, those it's two it's interesting though, right? Because more, I'm going to finish, Jeff. Whether you like it or not. Um, team organizations like the Browns and, and the Ravens good, are at the then, forefront of analytics in the NFL. Yeah, they are. They are. They <laughs> definitely are. And and, uh, and that's all I'll say. But like, I think, I think the point though is that like, I think the future would be if you know what the teams know, you'll have an edge. So I, I have a question but, though for you. For you though, so. The Ravens last year, one of the reasons that they were amazing is they were far and away the most aggressive team that I've ever seen on like the fourth and whatever stuff. This year, that's been less the case, right? I mean, we saw it in that, in that uh, Chiefs game where there was a really interesting decision. I think last year he had made a completely different decision. I think you saw it in that Patriots game too where there was that short fourth down that they didn't go for it. Do you, what, what's going on there? Like wh- wh- why is he backtracked or am I just like over indexing on a couple calls? Cause I feel like last year, every single time they were in a situation where I was like, they're not going to go for this, but they should, they went for it. And this year it has not been the case. I mean, you could go back to the draft and, and ask why they took a running back. In the second round, you could ask why they took an off-ball linebacker in the first and then followed up with another linebacker. Like, I don't know why the Ravens did what the Ravens did this past year. It wasn't 
keeping in character with the type of organization they had been previously. And certainly this year they have played things much more conservative. So, so it, my observation um, isn't off that, that this is really different than it was last year. Yeah. I, I like, if, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't, I, I think there were some mistakes made from my perspective. Like, what do I know? But like, from my perspective, yeah. Were you involved last year in any of that sort of like aggressive oh play gosh. calling? And I take no, first of all, I did minor work, long-term work. I take no credit for anything that happened last year. They're an amazing team that had an organization built years before I started to do anything at all, which like I said, was minor and long-term. Um, no credit. I'm gone now. I'm simply commenting on like basic ideas about football that I truly believe in and I believed in before and I believe in now. I don't think you take running backs in the second round. I don't think you take off ball linebackers in the first. Like these are just standard football things. They're, they had like a guy that was supposedly in, in, in Harbaugh's headset last year. Is, is he still there this year or? The Princeton guy or Yale or whatever? Harvard? Uh, I don't know. Was, it, was it Yale? Was There's it one Yale? of the three. I, no, Dan, Rufus, I think, I think it was a real Ivy League school. not MIT. Sorry, Jeff. No, it, Rufus, it was a real Ivy League school. Like not Brown? Yeah, no, like no, not. he he is he is still there. He is still there, and he's super sharp. Yep. Okay. Does he need a? Does he want to? Does he want a pay raise? I mean, the, this question I asked you about the Ravens actually has been bothering me since 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 this uh, definitely since the Patriots game because as a Patriots fan, I was relieved when they didn't go for that fourth down, and then it started in my mind. I noticed it in that Chiefs game because it was such a stark contrast to the way they were last year, where they were just so aggressive, and it was like. I don't know. This is going to be like a complete unanalytical thing, but like that aggressiveness breeds success in some ways. Like you just have this like self-fulfilling prophecy. It feels like, and, and that's Mr. Narrative guy and confirmation bias. Um, did the, did the jets intentionally lose last week? No. Greg Williams is just an no. idiot. I mean, what's more likely that Greg Williams who ended up getting fired by the way, yeah. Uh, what's more likely that a guy who is not going to be around for the rebuild is helping everyone tank or he's just hyper aggressive and that's just how he is. And he's a bad coach. Like, I, I think, I think he's a bad coach. I think the reason why he's a bad coach is a little more nuanced, but basically at a UDFA out there on a zero blitz and the UDFA bit on a stutter and like, that's what UDFAs do. Like, why do you bite on a stutter when the team is in hail mary mode? That's the funny thing. Well, but, why aren't yeah. why don't you have? You, but why aren't what, you in prevent? That's what UDFAs do. Right. That's what UDFAs do. It's like Luke Wilson. Why did he drop the ball? Why did he let Minka wrap that ball out? Why didn't he turn and go towards the back of the end zone like a good player would do? Well, he's available in week twelve on waiver wire. That's why he did that. That's why he dropped the ball. I think there's some pretty simple explanations for why certain things happen in the NFL. So can I, so first off, when I watched that, I was like, man, like Greg Williams has to have some deal with management here to like basically bring it down from the inside. And then he got fired, but maybe he got paid to get fired. But if I were, so here's the question. If let's say you're the ownership for the jets, what do you do? Like, what is, do you tell the, do you hire a coaching staff and tell them, give it your best shot? Like we want to win. Do you say, Hey, let's, 
try to build a culture and, but we, you know, let's try to get better, but without, but in, in let's just use really poor play. Like let, let's use our worst plays in high leverage moments. Um, like, or do you just try to win the most games you can? I mean, like if you were the owner of the jets, what would be, how, how would you go about this? I'm more pro tank than some people. Um, and there are people I respect who think it's a dumb idea, but I think that like you can do a mini tank and like right now it'd be completely appropriate. I think the dolphins messed things up a little bit last year. The reasons that, I mean, you could now say, well, wow, they started building a culture that led to their wins this year, right? Like, you could make that argument. Well, they had a great um, coaching hire. Yeah, they did. But I think that we're, they aren't going to have continuity on the Jets. I think everyone believes Gase is going to be gone. Whether or not the GM leaves is an open question. My understanding, he has, my understanding is he has five more years on a six-year contract or something ridiculous. So perhaps he isn't going anywhere. My preference would be as an owner um, would be to clean house. It would be to start over. I like, I would like my coach and my GM to be linked um, together as a team. Um, maybe that's trite. Maybe that isn't even important, uh, but that, that's kind of my prior is something I think I would want, but it doesn't look like it's going to be the case in New York. Um, and uh, no, do I don't think, have really high hopes for them. But, do you think but they're holding on to gaze for the, for the reason that, he'll help them lose more. I mean, if you talk about like subtle tanking, right? The idea of holding on to a, quarter, a coach that you know you won't have next year and that you know is a bad coach. Like that, in many ways, that's the only explanation why he still has a job, right? I think that completely is. And I guess that's what I was trying to get at, Josh. Like, would what would be the optimal strategy to tank but not seem like you're doing it? Would it, you know? And if you're the owner, how do you go about that? Like, how do you, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's rest like, players and, and and hire it's rest players and hire Adam Gaze. And it's like that movie, The Producers, starter. right? Did you ever see that? Yeah, I did. I did. It's a tremendous movie. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think that you know, and my colleague at Five Thirty Eight, Salfino, brings up the producers every time we talk about tanking. He's he thinks that no NFL team would ever tank just because they're just not built that way. Um, I think we we obviously we have an example in, in Cleveland. Is this Mike Salfino? Yeah. He's like yeah, the you know, he's the inspiration for the Massey Peabody ratings. He's he's the best he fantasy he baseball player ever played he against. Was, the best. He's what? He's the best fantasy baseball player ever played against. He's the best. I, I've he's heard like he's a, quite good. But he came brilliant. to Cade about like a rating system for the Wall Street Journal back in 2010. Without that, there's no Massey Peabody ratings. And what would we do without that? I don't know. Probably, you know, Jeff Jeff would not respect me and I wouldn't have a podcast. Um. Do you have a podcast? Do you do respect you, me? Do you even exist? What was what did Seth Burns say? Do you even exist in sports me in sports betting media? No, he said I'm a net negative. But no, he also uh, asked, "Did you do you even exist?" At the start of it, it was like far more insulting when he started to, to talk to you. I don't remember that. Um, anything else on this week? Memories. Anything else on this Seth, week that's Seth, interesting? Seth was brutal to you guys. Yeah, but hey, look, you can be brutal to us too. We're, we're basically here as punching bags. I don't know, man. I, I, I mean, I have, I have like a persona on Twitter, but like, I, I don't know, relationships matter to me and I'm not good at being mean to people. Like really, truly, uh, I would much rather everyone, you know, have, 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 have a nice conversation and call it a day. I agree. Jeff, you should Seth, give Seth, him a lesson Seth, on Seth, how to, no, I'm just kidding. 
Seth is brutally honest. I respect it, but uh, but wow, yeah, that's something. That was one for the ages. I, I didn't mind it. I, I I just felt like hopefully this is like reasonable radio to listen to, or not the most uncomfortable, or not like watching an episode of Arrested Development or Curb Your Enthusiasm with just uncomfortableness <laughs> the whole time. Um, By the way, I also agree with Walt. I I agree on the Ravens. I thought you said you didn't have any other picks. Well, I didn't. That wasn't a pick one. Like that wasn't a pick. Um, you gave us one pick that's off the board. That's really helpful. No, wait. Is I mean, Ravens was off the board, like because they were playing yesterday. Um, but what did that line reopen at? One? It's pick them. It's pick. Jesus. Yeah, yeah I, I really like Baltimore there. That that's my pick of the week. There you go. So I'm seeing. I'm seeing Baltimore minus one, but I think, well, same, same. It's minus one. It's minus yeah. one fourteen on on Chris. Yeah. So it's so. it's essential. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. The difference between yeah. minus yeah. one and zero is less than half a point. One is it one? No, it's less than half a <laughs> point. One in zero? terms of it's, in it's terms one. of mean. You're talking median. Of, I'm talking in terms mean. of subtraction. It's one. Uh, all right. Anything else interesting about the season that we want to talk about before we, we let Josh go back to his wonderful life and making wine? And I'll tell you what the wine is right now. It's Scribe. Oh, Scribe. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Jeff, can you tell me if I'm drinking a good bottle of wine or not? Who? I can't, I can't see what it is. Close. Hold on. Close Marion. Never heard of it. 2017. It-, it looks French. Grand Vin de Bourgnon. Yeah, it's French. Domaine <laughs> Fougere de Beauclair. I do not what's your what's your like <laughs> what's your what's your favorite go to what's your favorite Pinot, Josh? What's your like like what's expensive, like, nice Pinot that you like from the US? Definitely definitely Rocchioli or Kistler. Yeah, uh, both of them out. just absolutely outstanding. Pinot Noir? What about what about what about, li- what about literai? Wait, can you say that again? I got a pencil out now. Uh, Rocchioli. Uh, you spell it. And then, yeah, R O C H I O L I. I O L I. Okay, Rocchioli. Um, R O C H I O L L I O L I. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Do you yep. drink uh, Occidental? Have you had Occidental? I have, yeah. That's they were the, right around the corner. That's the new Kistler brand, though. You know that, right? That's the that's Steve and his family bought some land Back out in Occidental. Didn't started. they sell? Yeah, they sold, but he was still involved for I think three years or so after they sold, and then they moved over there and started Occidental. Um, liter- what do you think of Literai? Very good, very good. I actually like a lot of the Sonoma Coast stuff, um, and there's one. Um, what is it? Blue Slide Ridge. This is a particular bottle. I'm we're getting way in the weeds right now. Have you had Blue rain Slide. before? Martinelli Blue Slide Ridge is perhaps the best. I think it was a 2008, but perhaps the best wine I ever had. Just incredible. Um, so yeah, if you ever see that, just incredible wine. Um, Have you had rain? I haven't. No. So R-A-E-N, it's uh, Carlos Mondavi and one of the other Mondavi grandkids. 
they do a Sonoma Coast Pinot um, that is, that's awesome. So you're talking about the Martinelli apple cider, right? No. Delicious. <laughs> do you, delicious. do you, uh, Josh, do you have a wine collection? Like a wine cellar? No, I, I, I'm really bad with wine. I drink it. Um, I mean, I, I'm fortunate. Too. I have friends who, who are the, the guys that keep it and store it and, and we'll have parties and stuff. And, but, uh, and I'll get to taste old wine, but I, wine doesn't last long around me. So now I, I, I brew beer and that's a lot more of my, my speed. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so next we time you come another to the conversation about like the alcohol stuff. Well, that's what we're doing. Like hopefully anyone that doesn't care about this has turned this off at this point. Um, <laughs> and then we'll give out really good picks to everyone. Plus EV picks for once. I thought we just um, did. Josh, do you, do you, um, do you ever make it back here? Because it would be great to sit and drink some wine and watch some football with you. I, I live right You're now in, in Seattle. Yeah. No, I'm in Belvedere. Uh, Tiburon. Oh, in Belvedere. He's, he's yeah, in yeah, Tiburon, yeah. Belvedere. So really close to Sonoma, Sonoma. Spoiler alert. It's a really nice neighborhood and he's got an awesome, awesome spot. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. No, I, I am actually back in California on the second of January coming from Miami. So love to make some time if you're available around yeah, that Let's time. do it. Let's do it and drink some yeah. wine and you watch got, some football. You guys should come out to Vegas for the Super Bowl. Oh, there you go. There you go. I, I don't think I'm going to Vegas. I'm not going back to Vegas Vegas. until I can be like chest to chest with people at a pool party. Okay. That's, that's my, I'm going to be like 60 at that point and I'm going to be way too old to be in at a pool party, but that's really never stopped me. As long as Johnny Manziel's there, you're there. And Von Miller. And Von Miller. And Parvati Shallow. So there. Yeah. I didn't know who that was, but she was really cool until then they, they tried to kick her out because she was wearing pasties though. Sounds like a party, though. That was a great party. <laughs> it was a great party. Josh, and Von, and Von so Miller's friend us. who kept like grabbing girls' butts and blowing a whistle. <laughs> Sorry, TMI. Thank you so much you for joining us. It, it we'll have to have like an off-season podcast where we talk just like nerd out on on just football analytics and and the future of it and where we think it can go. Um, because I I, I love. You know, I love the fact that you're sort of out there doing this stuff um, kind of independent of, of, you know, a larger, you know, like there was football outsiders and, and whatnot, but it's, it's great to see innovation continuing to happen. I, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, and Rufus, I mean, you, uh, you spent some time, made some time for me early on at 538. Uh, I think you're on vacation even. And I, I appreciate that. And so thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks. Yeah. We, yeah. Thank you for coming on. All right. Bye guys. See you next week. Yeah.